Welcome in the Great Khan's Tent. History, Literature and Storytelling In the Great Khan's Tent is now available on YouTube. You can find us using this podcast name. Fear not, listeners, episodes will still be released on this podcast first, and it is only after a delay of a week that I will upload them onto YouTube. You can still find us on all your podcast providers first. Are you interested in getting the book you just published reviewed? Writing some piece of literature and need help getting it out there and promoted? Interested in sharing what piece of literature we should cover next? Well, fret not. In the Great Khan's Tent is now available on Patreon, where your contribution can help in growing this podcast. For as low as $3 a month, a price less than a good, and I mean good, cup of coffee, you can help contribute to the growth of this podcast. Every bit helps, but as always, it is not necessary to do so, but will be appreciated. Find the Patreon link on our website, on our social media accounts, or email us and we can send it to you. Thank you. In each episode, you may notice that a background track has been provided, like this. This is a result of my editorial decision to include a background track when there is some interaction between a human and a jinn, an otherworldly being that is a common race that frequently appears in these tales. If you have any suggestions, comments, or complaints, please be sure to email us at all lowercase in the great Hans tent at gmail.com. That is in the great Hans tent at gmail.com. We would love to hear from our listeners. Thank you for listening, and now on with the show. Welcome back to In the Great Khan's Tent and our continuing series on the 1001 Nights, also known as the Arabian Nights. To recap, we had begun the story of the story of Nuruddin Ali and his son, and of Shamsuddin Muhammad and his daughter, where Hassan Badruddin, whose father Nuruddin had died after leaving Egypt for Basra, found himself being taken away as he slept to Egypt and winding up in the wedding of his cousin Sit al Husun and the humpback groom. We continue this story with night 23 with the events that soon followed during the last two dresses of Sit al Husun and the events afterwards where the humpback groom was confronted by the Ifrit. It is interesting to note here that this tale is the first time that Allah and his angels take a direct role with the punishment of the Ifrit, the reasons of which are not clear or why such a drastic action would have been taken. We also encounter the son of Hassan Badruddin and Sit al-Husun, who is described in a mystical way as he grows up. This tale is also the first time where Damascus in Syria is encountered as much of the tale so far, if not in a magical place, were situated in either Iraq or Egypt, and may be an indication of where this story originated and at what time. Sherzad continued, The sixth dress in which they showed her was green. Her upright posture put to shame the brown spear 
and her comeliness surpassed that of the beauties of every land. Her gleaming face outshone the shining moon. Beauty yielded to her every wish. She captivated the brows with her softness and suppleness, and she shattered hearts with her qualities, as has been described in the lines. A girl trained in shrewdness. You see that the sun is borrowed from her cheeks. She came in a green dress like pomegranate blossoms wailed by leaves. I asked her for its name, and her reply was phrased with elegance. With it I cut men's heart, and so the name I give it is the bitter cut. The seventh dress in which they displayed her was part safflower red and part saffron, as the poet has said. She sways in a dress part safflower, part saffron, scented with ambergris and musk and sandalwood. A young girl, youth, urges her to rise. Her buttocks tell her, sit or move slowly. If I ask her for union, her beauty says, be generous. But coquetry says, refuse. And when they had finished the ceremony, they gave permission to the company to depart. So all who were present at the festivity, both women and children, went out, except Hassan Badruddin and the humpbacked groom, after which the tire women conducted the bride to an inner chamber to take off her ornaments and outer robes, and to prepare her for the bridegroom's visit. Upon this the humpbacked groom approached Hassan Badruddin and said to him, O my master, thou hast made us happy by thy company this night, and thou overwhelmed us with thy favours. But now wherefore dost thou not rise and go to thy house without thy being ejected? He answered, In the name of Allah, and rose and went out from the door. But the Ifrit met him and said unto him, Stay, O Badruddin, and when the humpback retires into the private closet, enter thou and seat thyself in the bride chamber, and when the bride cometh, say to her, I am thy husband. And the Sultan had not recourse to this stratagem from any other motive than his fearing for thee the effect of the eye and this whom thou hast seen is one of our grooms, then approach her and uncover her face and fear no evil from anyone. While Badruddin was thus conversing with the Ifrit, lo, the groom entered the closet and seated himself, and immediately the Ifrit rose before him from the trough of water that was in the closet, in the form of a mouse, and cried, Zeke, what brought thee here? said the humpback. The mouse then increased in size and became like a cat, which said, Meow, meow, and then increased and became a dog, and cried, Awoo, awoo. At the sight of this, the groom was terrified and exclaimed, Get away, thou unlucky. The dog, however, still increased and swelled until it became an ass, and brayed in his face, crying, Hack, hack, upon which the groom in terror cried out, Come to my aid, O people of the house. But lo, the ass increased and became like a buffalo, and stopping up the place before him, spoke with the speech of a son of Adam and said, 
Woe be to thee, O humpback, O filthiest of grooms. Upon this the groom was seized with a colic and seated himself upon the slabs, and his teeth knocked together. The ifrit then said to him, You stinking fellow, hath the earth become narrow to thee, that thou wouldest marry none but my mistress? But the groom was silent. Return me an answer, said the ifrit, or I will make thine abode to be in the dust. By Allah, then answered the groom, I am not in fault, for they compelled me, and I knew not that she had a lover among the buffaloes. But now I repent before Allah and before thee. Then the ifrit said, I swear by Allah that if thou depart now from this place, or utter a word before the sun hath risen, I will slay thee. And when the sun hath risen, go to thy way and never return to this house. And he seized the humpbacked groom, and placing his head upside down upon the slabs, his feet upwards, said to him, Remain here, and I will watch thee until sunrise. Thus did it happen to the humpback. Now as to Hassan Badruddin of al-Basra, he left the humpback and a freet contending together, and entering the house, seated himself in the bride chamber, and lo, the bride approached, accompanied by an old woman, who stopped at the door of the chamber and said, O Abu Shihab, rise and take thy bride, and I command thee to the care of Allah. Then the old woman went away, and the bride, whose name was Sit al-Husun, advanced to the upper end of the chamber. Her heart was broken, and she said within herself, By Allah, I will not suffer him to caress me, though my spirit depart from me. But when she had proceeded to the upper end of the chamber, she beheld Badruddin and said, My beloved, until this hour art thou remaining? I have said within myself, Perhaps thou and the humpback groom are to share me between you. What, said he, should give the groom access to thee, and wherefore should he be my partner in the possession of thee? Who then, she asked, is my husband, thou or he? O oh, my mistress, answered Badruddin, we did not this for any other purpose than to make a jest of him, and that we might laugh at him. For when the tire-women and the singing-women and thy family beheld thine admirable beauty, they feared for us the effect of the evil eye, and thy father hired him for ten pieces of gold, in order that he might divert from us the eye, and now he hath departed. When Sit al-Husun heard these words of Badruddin, she smiled and uttered a gentle laugh and said, By Allah! Thou hast extinguished my fire. Take me then, I conjure thee, and press me to thy bosom. She was without any outer clothing, and when she now raised her shift up to her neck, her private parts and her buttocks were revealed. At this sight, Hassan's passion was aroused, and getting up, he stripped off his clothes. He took the purse of gold with the thousand dinars that he had got from the Jew and wrapped it in his trousers, placing it under the end of the mattress. And he took off his turban and set it on a chair, leaving him wearing only a fine shirt embroidered with gold. And they embraced each other. 
At that Sitt al-Husun went up to him and drew him to her as he drew her to him. He embraced her and placed her legs around his waist. Then he set the charge, fired the cannon, and demolished the fortress. He found his bride an unboard pearl and a mare that no one else had ridden. So he took her maidenhead and enjoyed her youth. Then he withdrew from her, and after a restorative pause, he returned fifteen times, as a result of which she conceived. When he had finished, he put his hand beneath her head, and she did the same to him, after which they embraced and fell asleep in each other's arms. This was as the poet has described. Visit your love, pay no heed to the envious, for such are of no help in love. Allah in his mercy makes no finer sight than two lovers on a single bed, embracing one another and clothed in content, pillowed on one another's wrist and arms. When hearts are joined in love, the iron is cold, on which all others strike. When your age has provided you a single friend, how good a friend is this. Live for this one alone. You who blame the lovers for their love, have you the power to cure the sick at heart? This is what took place between Hassan and his cousin, Sit al-Husun. Not long after this, the Ifrit said to the Jinniyah, Arise and place thyself beneath the youth, and let us convey him back, lest the morning overtake us, for the time is near. So she advanced towards him, and placing herself beneath his skirt, as he lay asleep, took him up and flew away with him, in the state in which she found him, clad only in his shirt, and pursued her flight with the Ifrit by her side. She continued on her way while the Ifrit kept pace with her, but midway through their journey they were overtaken by the dawn. The Muizin called to prayer, but Allah gave permission to some angels to cast at the Ifrit a shooting star of fire, and he was burnt. The Jinnia, however, escaped unhurt, and deposited Badruddin in the place over which the shooting star had burnt the Ifrit. She would not pass beyond it, fearing for his safety, and as destiny had appointed, this place was Damascus. So she placed him by one of the gates of the city and flew away. When the daylight therefore came, and the gates were opened, the people coming forth beheld a beautiful youth, clad in a shirt, with a cotton skullcap without a turban. In consequence of his having been so long wakeful, he was now immersed in sleep, and when the people saw him, some said, Would that he had waited till he had put on his clothes. Another said, Objects of pity are the children of men of condition. Probably this youth hath just come forth from his drinking place on account of some business, and intoxication hath overcome him, and he wandered from the place to which he would go until he arrived at the gate of the city, and finding it locked, hath slept here. Another said, How lucky was the one with whom this fellow spent the night, but he should have waited to put on his clothes. Another said, They are poor fellows, these rich men's sons. They had expressed various opinions respecting him, and were wondering at his case. As they were talking, a gust of wind blew over Hassan, lifting his shirt above his waist. 
Beneath it they could see his stomach, a curved navel and two legs and thighs like crystal. The people exclaimed in admiration when Badruddin awoke. Perceiving that he was at the gates of a city and surrounded by men, he was astonished and said, Where am I, O good people? And what is the cause of your assembling around me? And what hath befallen me among you? They answered, We saw thee at the call to morning prayer, lying at this gate asleep, and we know nothing more of thy case. Where wast thou sleeping this last night? By Allah, O people, he replied, I was sleeping this last night in Cairo. On hearing this, one of them said, Dost thou eat hashish? Another said, Thou art mad. How couldst thou be passing the night in Cairo and be sleeping in the morning at the city of Damascus? He said to them, By Allah, O good people, I tell you no falsehood. I was last night in the land of Egypt, and the day before I was at al-Basra. One of them said, This is a wonderful thing. Another said, This youth is mad, and they clapped their hands at him, and conversing together said, Alas for his youth! By Allah there is no denying his madness. They then said to him, Return to thy reason. But he replied, I was yesterday a bridegroom in the land of Egypt. He is mad, said another, and they clapped their hands over him and talked amongst themselves, saying, What a shame for one so young, but he is undoubtedly mad. Probably thou hast dreamt, said they, and hast seen this of which thou speakest in thy sleep. Then they said to him, Pull yourself together and return to your senses. And Hassan was confounded and said, By Allah, this was not a dream. And where is the humpback groom who was sitting with us and the purse of gold that I had? And where are my clothes and my drawers? He then rose and entered the city and proceeding through its great thoroughfare streets and market streets and the people crowded around him and paraded him. So he entered the shop of a cook. Now this cook was a robber whom Allah hath caused to re repent of his unlawful actions and he had opened a cook shop and all the people of Damascus feared him on account of his boldness. Therefore, when they saw that the youth had entered this shop, they left him behind, being afraid. When the cook beheld Hassan Badruddin and observed his beauty and comeliness, love for him entered his heart, and he said to him, Whence art thou, O young man? Relate to me thy story, for thou art become dearer to me than my soul. So he related to him all that had happened from beginning to end, and the cook said to him, O my master Badruddin, know that this is a wonderful event and an extraordinary story, but O my son, conceal thy case until Allah dispel thy trouble, and remain with me in this place, as I have not a son, I will adopt thee as such, for you have become dearer to me than my life. Badruddin replied, Let it be as thou desirest, O uncle, and immediately the cook went out to the mart, and brought for Badruddin costly clothes, and put them on him. Then he went to the Qadi, and made a declaration that he was his adopted son. So Hassan Badruddin became known throughout the city of Damascus as the son of the cook, and he sat with him in the shop to receive the money, 
and in this situation he remained. Now as to Sit al-Husun, when daybreak came and she awoke, she found not Hassan Badruddin remaining with her, and imagining that he would soon return, she sat a while expecting him, and lo, her father came in to her, troubled at that which had befallen him from the Sultan, and at his having married his daughter by force to one of his servants, the humpbacked groom, and he said within himself, I will kill this girl if she have suffered the wrench to caress her. So he advanced to the bride chamber, and stopping at the door, said, O Sit al-Husun, she answered, Well, O my master, and came forth to him, walking with a vacillating gait, through joy, and kissed the ground before him, and her countenance beamed with the increased splendor in consequence of her union with that gazelle. When her father therefore saw her in this state, he exclaimed to her, O thou base creature, art thou delighted with this groom? On hearing these words of her father, Sit al-Husun smiled. She kissed the ground, and her face shone with ever more radiant beauty, and replied, By Allah, it is enough that thou hast done, and that the people laugh at me, and put me on an equality with this groom, who is not in my estimation the value of a paring of one of my fingernails. But as to my husband, by Allah, I never in the course of my life passed a night more delightful than that which I have just passed in his company. Therefore just not with me by mentioning that humpback. When her father heard what she said, he was filled with rage. His eyes glared so that little appeared of them but the white, and he said to her, Woe to thee, you harlot! What are these words that thou sayest? Verily, the humpback groom has passed the night with thee. What are you saying? Where are your wits? I conjure thee by Allah, she rejoined, that thou mention him not. May Allah reject him, and reject his father. Continue not then to mock me by mentioning him, for the groom was only hired for ten pieces of gold, and he took his hire and departed. And I came and entered the bride chamber, and beheld my husband seated, after the singing women had displayed me before him, and he threw them red gold until he had enriched the poor who were present. I have reclined upon the bosom of my gentle-hearted husband, with the black eyes and the joined eyebrows. You have broken my heart, enough of this ill-humor. When her father heard this, the light became darkness before his face, and he exclaimed to her, O thou abandoned one! What is this that thou saith? Where is thy reason? O my father, she replied, thou hast broken my heart in pieces. Wherefore dost thou pay no attention? This of whom I spake is my husband, and he hath returned to his private closet. So her father went thither in a state of astonishment, and entering the closet found the humpback groom with his head upon the slabs, and his feet turned upwards and the vizier was confounded at the sight, and said, Is this not the humpback? And he spoke to him. But the humpback returned no answer, thinking that it was the Ifrit who addressed him. The vizier therefore cried out at him with a loud voice, and said to him, Speak, or I will cut off thy head with this sword. Upon which the humpback exclaimed, By Allah, O Sheikh of the Ifrits, that thou placest me here, I have not risen my head. 
I conjure thee, therefore, that thou show favor to me. By God, Sheikh of the Ifrits, said the hunchback, since you put me here, I have not raised my head, and I implore you by Allah to be kind to me. The vizier, on hearing the humpback thus address him, said to him, What sayest thou? I am the father of the bride, and I am not an Ifrit. Then said the humpback, My life is not in thy hands, nor art thou able to take my soul. So go thy way, before he come to thee who hath treated me in this manner. Ye would not marry me to any but the mistress of buffaloes and the mistress of Ifrits. By Allah then, confound him who married me to her, and confound him who was the cause of it. Then the humpback groom addressed the vizier, the father of the bride, again, saying, Allah confound him who was the cause of this. Night 23 Morning now dawned, and Shahrazad broke off from what she had been allowed to say. Then, when it was the twenty-third night, she continued. Rise, said the vizier, and depart from this place. Am I mad, he replied, that I should go with thee without the permission of the Ifrit? For he said to me, When the sun shall have risen, go thy way. Hath the sun risen then, or not? for I cannot depart from my place until the sun hath risen. Upon this the vizier said to him, Who brought thee to this place? He answered, I came hither yesterday, and a dust rose from the midst of the water, and cried out, and increased in bulk, until it became the size of a buffalo, and said to me words that entered my ear. Leave me therefore and go. Allah confound the bride and him who married me to her. Then the vizier approached him and dragged him forth, and he went out running, doubting whether the sun had risen, and went up to the sultan and informed him of that which had happened to him and the ifrit. But as to the vizier, the father of the bride, he returned with his reason perplexed, respecting the case of his daughter, and said to her, O my daughter, reveal to me thy story. She replied, the elegant person before whom I was displayed remained with me, and if thou believe me not, see this is his turban, twisted just as it was upon the chair, and his drawers are under the bed, and in them is something wrapped up, I know not what it is. So when her father heard this, he entered the bride chamber, and found a turban of Hassan Badruddin, the son of his brother, and taking it up, he turned it over and said, This is such a turban as is worn by viziers, except that it is of the Mosuli kind. He then observed an amulet sewed in his red cloth cap, and he unsewed it, and he took the drawers and found the purse containing the thousand pieces of gold, and opening this, he discovered in it a paper, which, when he read it, he saw to be a copy of the Jew's contract with the name of Hassan Badruddin, the son of Nuruddin of Cairo, and he found also the thousand pieces of gold. But when he read the paper, he cried aloud and fell down in a swoon, and as soon as he recovered and understood the case, he was astonished and exclaimed, There is no deity but Allah who is able to do whatsoever he willeth. Then said he, O my daughter, 
Knowest thou who hath become thy husband? She answered, No. He is the son of my brother, and he and a son of thine uncle. And these thousand pieces of gold are thy dowry. Extolled be the perfection of Allah. Would that I knew how this event hath happened. Then he opened the amulet that was sewn up, and found in it a paper written by the hand of his brother, Nuruddin of Cairo, the father of Hassan Badruddin. And when he beheld the handwriting of his brother, he repeated this couplet, I behold their footsteps, and melt with desire, and pour forth my tears upon the places they have trodden, begging of him who hath afflicted me by their separation, that he will bless me some day by a reunion. He also recited, I see the traces they have left and melt with longing, and I pour down my tears over their former dwellings. I ask the one who afflicted me with separation, that one day he might favor me with their return. So saying, he read the paper and found in it the date of his marriage to the daughter of the vizier of al-Basra, and that of his first introduction to her and a record of his age at the time of his death, and the date of the birth of his son Hassan Badruddin. And he wondered and shook with delight, and comparing what had happened to his brother with the events that had happened to himself, he found that they corresponded exactly. His marriage and the marriage of his brother agreed in date, and their first visits to their respective wives in like manner, as also the birth of Badruddin, the son of his brother, and the birth of his daughter, Sit al husun He took the two papers, and going up with them to the sultan, he acquainted him with all that had happened from the first of the case to the last, and the sultan was astonished, and ordered that the case should be immediately recorded. The vizier then remained in expectation of the son of his brother, but he did not come that day, or on the next, or on the third and after seven days had passed, there was still no news of him. He met with no tidings of him. So he said, By Allah, I will do a deed that none hath done before me. And he took an ink case and a pen, and wrote an inventory of the furniture of the house, describing the money chest as having been in such a place, and a certain curtain in such another place, and everything in the house in like manner, he produced on a piece of paper a sketch plan of the whole house with the alcove here, such and such a hanging there, and so on, including everything in the house. And he folded up the paper and ordered that all furniture should be stored up. And he took the turban with its tarbush, and also the farajie, the mantle, and the purse, which he locked up in his own room with a lock of iron, setting a seal on it to await his nephew's arrival. After this, in due time, the daughter of the vizier gave birth to a son like the moon, resembling his father in beauty and symmetry and splendor and loveliness. Splendid as the moon, resembling his father in beauty, perfection, splendor and grace, the midwives cut the umbilical cord. They received him from his mother and blackened the edges of his aisles with kajal and delivered him to the nurses and named him ajib 
His day was a month, and his month a year, and when seven years had passed over him, his grandfather committed him to a schoolmaster whom he charged to educate him with great care and to teach him to read. He continued at the school four years and used to fight with his schoolfellows and abuse them, saying, Who among you is like me? I am the son of the vizier of Cairo. So the boys went together to complain to the monitor of that which they suffered from Ajib. And the monitor said to them, I will teach you something to say to him when he cometh, and he shall repent of his coming to the school. And it is this. Tomorrow, when he comes, seat yourself around him, and say to one another, By Allah, none shall play with us at this game excepting him, who shall tell us the name of his mother and that of his father, and he knoweth not the name of his mother and that of his father is illegitimate. Therefore he shall not play with us. Accordingly, on the following morning, they came to the school, and Ajib was there, and the boys surrounded him, and said as the monitor had directed them, and they all agreed to the proposal, and one said, My name is Majid, and my mother is Alawi, and my father is Izuddin. Then another said after the same manner, and another, and so on, until the turn came to Ajib, and he said to them, My name is Ajib, and my mother is Sit al-Husun, and my father is Shamsuddin, the vizier of Cairo. And they said to him, By Allah, the vizier is not your father. Ajib replied, The vizier is my father indeed. And upon this the boys laughed at him, and clapped their hands, saying, Thou knowest not who is thy father. Get away from us, therefore, for none shall play with us excepting him who knoweth the name of his father. And immediately the boys dispersed from around him and made a jest of him. In consequence of this treatment, his heart became contracted, and he was almost choked with crying. And the monitor said to him, Dost thou really consider as thy father him who is thy grandfather, the vizier, the father of thy mother, Sit al-Husun? Thy father thou knowest not, nor do we know him, for the sultan married her to the humpbacked groom, and the jinn came and prevented him. So if thou know not thy father, they will regard thee among them as illegitimate. Dost thou not see that the son of the woman who is coveted as a wife knoweth his father? The vizier of Cairo is thy grandfather, and as to thy father we know him not, nor dost thou return therefore to thy reason. Upon this Ajib went immediately to his mother Sit al-Husun and complained to her and wept, and his weeping prevented his speaking, and when his mother heard his complaint and his crying, her heart was inflamed for him, and she said to him, O my son, what makest thee weep? Tell me thy story. So he told her what he had heard from the boys and from the monitor, and said to her, O my mother, who is my father? She answered him, Thy father is the vizier of Cairo. But he said, He is not my father, tell me not, therefore, what is false. For the vizier is thy father, not mine. Who then is my father? If thou do not tell me truly, I will kill myself with this dagger. And when his mother heard the mention of his father, she wept at the allusion to the son of her uncle, 
and remembering the amiable qualities of Hassan Badruddin of al-Basra and what had happened to herself and him, she recited an ode commencing thus. They excited love in my heart and departed, and far distant hath their abode become. Reason forsook me when they withdrew, and sleep and patience abandoned me. She recited these lines. They stirred up longing in my heart and left. Those whom I love have now gone far away. They left, and with them has my patience gone. After this loss, patience is hard to find. They left and were accompanied by my joy. Nothing stays fixed. There is no fixity. By leaving me, they brought tears to my eyes. And thanks to this, my tears flow down in floods. I yearn to see them, and for long I have been yearning and waiting for them. I call up pictures of them, and my innermost heart is home to passion, longing, and to care. Your memory has now become my cloak, and under it I wear my love for you. Beloved, how long will this go on? How long will you stay distant and shun me? And she wept and cried out, and her son did the same. And lo, the vizier entered. His heart burned with him when he beheld their state, and he said to them, What causeth you to weep? She acquainted him, therefore, with the treatment that her son had experienced from the other boys of the school. And he also wept, and called to mind what had happened to his brother and himself and his daughter, and he knew not the mystery of the case. Suddenly he arose, and going up to the council chamber, presented himself before the king and related to him the story, begging his permission to travel eastward to the city of al-Basra, that he might make inquiries respecting the son of his brother, and requesting also of the sultan that he would write letters for him to all the countries through which he might pass, that if he found the son of his brother in any place, he might take him away. And he wept before the sultan, and the heart of the sultan was moved with compassion for him, and he wrote him letters to all the regions and countries upon which the vizier rejoiced, and having offered up a prayer for the sultan, took leave of him. He descended immediately and prepared for the journey, and taking with him all that he required, together with his daughter and her son Ajib, traveled the first day and the second and the third, and proceeded until he arrived at the city of Damascus, and beheld it with its trees and streams celebrated by the poets. As the poet has described it, I passed a day and night in Damascus, and time swore that with a city like this it could make no mistake. I spent the night while night's wing paid no heed, and dawn was smiling with gray hair. On the branches there were dew gleamed like pearls, touched gently by the zephyr, and then falling. The pool was like a page read by the birds, written by wind, with clouds as punctuation. He alighted in the open space called Medan al-Hasba, and when he had pitched his tents, said to his servants, We will take rest here two days. So the servants entered the city to gratify their various desires, one to sell, another to buy, a third to enter the bath, and a fourth to visit the mosque of the Beni Umayyah, which had not in the world its equal. Ajib also entered the city, accompanied by his eunuch, in order to amuse themselves, 
and the eunuch walked behind Ajib, having in his hand a whip that would strike down a camel. And when the people of Damascus beheld Ajib, and his elegance of form and perfect beauty, and observed him to be endowed with admirable loveliness, and with kindness of manner, more bland than the northern zephyr, sweeter than limpid water to the thirsty, and more pleasant than health to the diseased, they followed him, running after him in crowds, and some sat waiting in the streets to see him pass. Thus they did until the slave, as destiny had ordained, stopped before the shop of Ajib's father, Hassan Badruddin, in which the cook who had acknowledged him as his adopted son in the presence of the Qadis and witnesses had established him, and this cook had died and left him all his property, together with his shop. In the twelve years that he had spent in Damascus, Hassan's beard had grown long and he had matured in intelligence. When the slave stopped there on this day, the servants also stopped with him, and Hassan Badruddin beheld his son and was charmed with him, observing his extreme beauty. His soul yearned towards him with natural sympathy, and his heart clung to him. Hassan looked at Ajib, his son, and taking note of how extremely handsome he was, his heart beat fast, blood sensed the pull of blood, and he felt linked to the boy by affection. He had just prepared a conserve of pomegranate grains, sweetened with sugar, and the affection divinely inspired increased in him. So he called out in ecstasy and said, O my master, O thou who hast captivated my heart and soul, and to whom my affections are drawn by sympathy, wilt thou come in to me and refresh my heart and eat of my food? And when he had said this, his eyes overflowed with involuntary tears, and he reflected upon his past experience and this condition at the present time. When Ajib heard the address of his father, his heart was in like manner drawn towards him by sympathy, and he looked towards the eunuch and said to him, Verily, my heart is moved with sympathy for this cook. He seemeth to have parted with a son. Come in with us, therefore, that we may refresh his heart and eat his offerings of hospitality. Perhaps Allah, through our so doing, may accomplish our union with our father. But the eunuch replied, By Allah, O my master, it is not proper. How should we who are of the family of the vizier eat in the shop of a cook? A fine thing by Allah, exclaimed the eunuch when he heard this. Do vizier's sons stay eating in a cook shop? I will therefore drive the people from thee, lest they see thee. Otherwise it will be impossible for thee to enter the shop, and I shall never feel safe in letting you go in there. On hearing the reply of the eunuch, Badruddin was surprised and looking towards him, while his tears flowed down his cheeks said to him, Verily, my heart loveth him. Let us hear no more of these words, said the eunuch, and he desired the youth not to enter. Hassan heard this, and he was astonished, and turned to the eunuch with tears running down his cheeks, while Ajib said, My heart is filled with love for this man. Don't say that, the eunuch replied, for you are never going in there. But the father of Ajib cast his eyes upon the eunuch, and said, Great sir, wherefore wilt thou not refresh my heart, and come in to me? O thou who resemble black dust, but whose heart is white, you who are like a chestnut, dark but with a white heart, O thou who hast been described in such and such terms of praise, you who fit the description of the poet, 
so that the eunuch laughed and said, What wouldst thou say? Speak, and be brief. Produce the description, but keep it short. And Badruddin recited this couplet. Were it not for his accomplishments and admirable faithfulness, he had not been invested with the authority in the abode of sultans. What an excellent guardian for the harem he is. On account of his beauty, the angels of heaven wait upon him. Were he not educated and reliable, he would hold no office in the royal palace, or be given charge of the harem. Oh, what a servant, who for his beauty heavenly angels serve. This address pleased the eunuch so much that he took the hand of Ajib and entered the cook shop. Hassan had welcomed them, saying, You have done me a favor, so enjoy your meal. And Badruddin ladled out a saucerful of conserve of pomegranate grains, prepared with almonds and sugar, and the slave and the youth ate together. Badruddin saying to them, Ye have delighted me by your company, eat and may it benefit you. Ajib then said to his father, Sit down and eat with us, and perhaps Allah will unite us to him whom we desire. And Badruddin said, O my son, hast thou been afflicted in thy tender years by the separation of those whom thou lovest? Yes, O uncle, answered Ajib, my heart is inflamed by the absence of one of those who are dear to me. The friend who hath withdrawn himself from me is my father, and I and my grandfather have come abroad to search for him through the world, and how do I sigh for my union with him? And he wept bitterly, and his father, moved by his tears, wept with him, reflecting upon his own desolate state, separated from those he loved, deprived of his father, and far removed from his mother, and the eunuch was moved with compassion for him. They then ate their fill, after which the two got up, and when they left the shop, Hassan felt as though his soul had parted from his body and gone with them. In the Great Khan's Tent is now available on coffee. If you are interested in supporting this podcast, please click on the link available on our many social media platforms or email us. Why not donate to our coffee to show your appreciation? Every bit helps and we thank you for your continued support. We love that our listeners love listening to us. Welcome to the vocabulary section for episode 17. First, let's look at some of the terms that were used in this episode. Private closet, a room with a bathroom with a toilet where you can do your business in peace. Colic, paroxysmal pain in the abdomen or bowels. Abu Shihab, father of a shooting star, a nickname for a devil. Tarbush, close-fitting, closed-topped, brimless hat, shaped like a truncated cone, a separate headgear or as a inner part of a turban. Farajiyah, a long-sleeved robe. Ajib, an Arabic name meaning amazing or wondrous. Alawi, Arabic name meaning follower of Ali. Razitala Ano. Izuddin, an Arabic name meaning high rank, honor, esteem, or prestige of the Islamic faith. Medan al-Hasba, a field of gravel, located between two sub-Barada streams, and when it rains heavily, the land gravel deposits fill the streams and consequently the neighborhood. Mosque of Bini Umayyah, 
also known as the Great Mosque of Damascus, completed in 715 CE. Conserve of pomegranate grains. A mixture of several fruits cooked to jam-like consistency with sugar and often garnished with nuts and raisins. Thoroughfare streets. A main road or a street or road open at both ends. Now let's look at the vocabulary used in this episode. Recourse. Access or resort to a person or thing for help or protection or a person or thing resorted to for help or protection. Trough, a long, narrow, open receptacle, usually box-like in shape, used to chiefly hold water or food for animals or for various commercial or household properties. Abode, a place in which a person resides, residence, dwelling, habitation, or home. Contending, a struggle in opposition or to strive in rivalry. Immersed, Plugged or sunk in as if in liquid. Wakeful. Unable to sleep, not sleeping, indisposed to sleep, or characterized by sleep. Hashish. The flowering tops and leaves of Indian hemp, smoked, chewed, or drunk as a narcotic and intoxicant. Vacillating. Oscillating, swaying, or fluctuating. Not resolute, wavering, indecisive, or hesitating. Gait. A manner of walking, stepping, or running. Beamed. To emit in or as in beams or rays. Spake. A simple archaic past tense of speak. Swoon. To faint, lose consciousness. Extolled. Heavily praised, lauded, or acclaimed. Amiable. Having or showing pleasant, good-natured personal qualities, or affable, friendly, or sociable. Zephyr, a gentle, mild breeze. Limpid, clear, transparent, or pellucid as water, crystal, or air, or free from obscurity, lucid or clear. Coquetry, dalliance, trifling, or flirtation. This episode has been written edited and produced by Saf Big. Thank you for listening. I hope you have a wonderful day and or night. And may the journeys on which you are set upon be fruitful. Thank you for listening.